Thank you, Hill Tribe. What a beautiful song about um, our good, good shepherd and how he walks us through this life and seeks us out when we're kind of hiding from him or avoiding, avoiding him for certain things. And I pray that God's spirit would shepherd us as we work our way through the passage at hand this morning. And as you know, where we are in the gospel of uh, Matthew, chapter 19, well, actually, this will be our second sermon in chapter 19, and we will uh, do three sermons in chapter 19, because after there's a teaching on marriage and then there's a teaching on divorce, which we'll examine this morning. And then after Jesus teaching on marriage and divorce, the disciples have this really good question that needs to be answered. And basically what they say is, Jesus, based on your really strict teaching about marriage and divorce, wouldn't it be better if we just didn't even get married at all? That's a good question, isn't it? We'll, we'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But I have a lot to cover this morning, so I want to jump right in. Matthew 19, I'm going to go ahead and read the first 12 verses. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined... Let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case. Of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So, as you can see in our passage, the... Pharisees always wanting to test Jesus. They want to know exactly uh, what it what does God's law um, uh, forbid regarding divorce? You know what what's considered valid and what's invalid? Can we divorce for any reason? And if it's not for any reason, help me understand um, what reasons there are. So they're trying to figure. I want to know about this thing of divorce. And rather than going right into the teaching of divorce, Jesus says he, he basically gives a teaching of marriage. So he takes it back to the original intent, because in order to understand divorce and what all is entailed in divorce, we really need to understand what marriage is and what the purpose of marriage is. And so last week we uh, examined what is marriage. And we just kind of looked at a bare bones Message on that information on that. What is marriage built upon? 
The essence or the foundation of a marriage is the promise. It's built on a covenant promise. And everything good about marriage grows out of that. That's what sets marriage apart. That's what makes this relationship so unique. It's the way God intended it, the way God designed it. It's to be built upon a promise where a, a man and a woman, one man and one woman, come together on that commitment. And they lock in, they join, they're glued together, they become one flesh at that moment and throughout their mortal lives. That's the idea of it. Then we also um, looked at the purpose of marriage as being that of companionship or friendship. And the reason, though, there's lots of um, there's lots of important factors and reasons why God would have us come together. This is what it's. Its main purposes. And the reason we know that is because when God was creating all of what we know of as reality in this world and the universe, and it was good, and the, the, the stars, the lights were good, and the land and the material and the dirt was good, and the fish and everything was good, but there was only one thing that wasn't good, and that was for man to be alone. And the message there was that exactly it's not good because I'm not finished yet. Man hasn't been completed yet. But what was he lacking? He was alone. And so God created for him a helpmeet, a companion to do life together, to fulfill the cultural mandate of procreating and taking dominion of of this world that God created as vice regents. So he is to do that with his helper. And so it is that in mind that God has for marriage. It's it's a very important union. And of course, we know, and I won't get into it, but marriage isn't just about the love of the individuals. The the world and society is built upon this relationship. Nations, kingdoms come and go based on the strengths of families and relationships. So it's not just about us, but it's about our neighbors and it's about the entire world. And that's that's because um, we can thrive as a world. Or not thrive as a world, largely due to the way we structure family. And that starts in a marriage. So it's very, it's very pivotal, very foundational in not just in our uh, relationships, but to the world. It affects everything. Marriage affects everything. Our family life affects everything. We don't always look at it in the big picture, but that's the truth of the matter. Marriage is not forever, but marriage blesses forever. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. So we look at marriage in this union as a blessing. And then he gave them this commandment of procreating and taking dominion. So basically, the, the blessing is saying what I've done is good and it is for your enjoyment. And, and so go and have fun. Go and sleep together, dare I say it. And... And be in charge of all of this that I've created for you. Now, it doesn't get much better than that if you can't be happy with enjoying all of this and enjoying one another and being in charge, then something's wrong with you. Right? Because we like all those things. So it's a blessing. They become one. They take dominion. So they wanted to know about divorce and Jesus teach, teaches them about marriage done right. And I I would say that that suggests something to us. And that is even in our day and age, as we consider the institution of marriage, uh, what should we spend the bulk of our time on? 
Should we spend the bulk of our time slicing and dicing the best way to get a divorce? Or should we invest our time in teaching about the original intent of marriage? Two times in this passage, Jesus brings them back to what it's supposed to be. Before he entertains the idea of the separation. Why would Jesus take that approach? Because he wants to focus on the right way before he focuses on the other way. And the reason is because when it gets right down to it, and we kind of, I think we, we know this, but it's good to be reminded, that marriage the way it was designed was really never intended to, to separate. That was not how it was created. And so Jesus wants to make that loud and clear. It wasn't intended to be pulled apart. Notice how the Pharisees respond to this. And it's Jesus' strict view of marriage. And by the way, Jesus has a very strict view of marriage. And in this passage, I've realized that his view of marriage is stricter than my view of marriage. And I'm still trying to work through all of this. But he's very strict. There's not there's like very little wiggle room in this passage. And we'll we'll look. Well, Paul gives us a little more wiggle room and we'll look at that this morning. So he gives this very strict teaching and then the Pharisees want to know, but but why did Moses command us? To present to our spouses a certificate of divorce. And Jesus calls them to the carpet and sets the record straight. And he says, actually, uh, it's Moses did not command you to divorce. There's no command to divorce in Scripture. But what he did is he allowed you to divorce. To divorce. He permitted you to divorce. There's no command to divorce. Even in the worst of circumstances, you will not find a command in Scripture. You see allowances, but you don't see a command. So um, he sets the record straight, if you will. Let's spend our time this morning examining what God calls putting asunder. So first, the trauma or the severing of a marriage. A divorce, of course, is one. It's what we know of as separation. It's literally the severing of a marriage. The two have become one. And in order to not be one anymore, they have to be pulled apart. And they were to hold fast. They were glued together with God as their witness. And now they're trying to figure out how do we come unglued uh, because you're together and all the roots are all entangled. And it's just and you're dependent on each other in different ways, emotional, physical, whatever, spiritual. And it's just really, really difficult to get that apart, what God has joined together. And uh, the word divorce, mean, uh, die and severte, die means to be apart and severte is to go your separate ways. So that's, that's the object here is how do we get out of this so that we cannot be intertwined and turn our different ways? And it's very difficult. In fact, it's it's rather an unnatural thing as you think about the original tent, intent of marriage. It's very natural for us to come together and it's very hard for us to come apart. It's much easier to come together than it is to be torn apart. And so it's not really meant to be that way. And so it's messy. It's painful on many counts when this takes place. 
I know that our culture tries its very, very best to make this process of separation and divorce as easy and painless as possible. And we have uh, we have prenuptials. We have no fault divorce. We have all kinds of caveats there. But no matter how hard we try to make it a natural thing to come together and a natural thing to, to fade apart, it's just not really natural. It's very painful, very messy. And the more uh, intensely we are together, the harder it is to separate. And I want to say up front that I know that I'm well aware that this is a this is an awkward topic. It's hard for me to talk about this in our culture when I know that a lot of my my loved ones, my dear friends and brothers in Christ um, and, and family members have experienced a divorce. So I want you to know that I come before you very humbly with this topic. And I, along with you, want to hear and sit under the shepherd's teaching. And I would just say that if talking about it is awkward and perhaps it even elicits maybe memories of pain with children or adults or family members, it only reinforces Jesus's teaching. That's because it was never meant to be this way originally. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard. So we want to humbly approach this passage. And the fact of the matter, as we see, divorce happens. It, it happens. Even those of us with the best intentions. Sometimes things don't turn out right. It happens. People get through it. They struggle through it. They live through it. They come out on the other side. It is not the unforgivable sin. So keep that in mind. But it's painful. So Timothy Keller calls divorce an amputation. He says, Jesus Christ says, if you understand marriage as this deep unity, uh, this deep oneness, then you will discover that divorce cannot be like taking off your clothes. Divorce is more like taking off your arm. It's not really meant to be easy. It's not meant to be a quick fix to whatever pain that we may be experiencing in our relationship. Not a quick answer to everything. There's great loss. You know, as, as I was preparing in the study, thinking about marriage and thinking about divorce and man, what, what really takes place on all the different planes of divorce? I thought about the separation and the, the idea of amputation. And it brought me back to a childhood field trip that I took in school one time. I think it was in seventh and eighth or, or eighth grade or eighth grade. I did eighth grade twice. It was so fun. But um, anyway, we went to the battlefield of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. And of course, in school, you love field trips. All right. It's just a great day automatically when you get out of the classroom and you get to do things. So we went to Gettysburg and we had, of course, it was a school trip and we had a great tour guide and we pulled up with our buses and you could just see they keep the place beautiful, by the way. Well, it's been I was just a kid, so I'm assuming it's still beautiful. But anyway, it was beautiful then, nice and green. You could see the, the block, the rock walls that they had made and the old structures that they had preserved. And the tour guide, he was just pointing out what everything meant and how the different sides lined up. And he said the south was over here on this side at the edge of the woods and. The north was over here in the edge of the woods and between them was a battlefield and it was actually a cornfield. 
And he said so many projectiles, so many bullets or lead balls flew back and forth this field during this battle that by the end of the battle, not a stalk of corn was standing. That's a lot of bullets. That's how bloody this battle was, how fierce this battle was. And then he took us over and he he pointed to this. Basically, it was a cabin. And uh, so we we all followed him over this cabin. He said this this cabin became like a, a triage and there was lots and lots of wounded. And so they would they would carry their wounded to this place. And there were however many doctors that they could summon up and people to help. And they turned this cabin of, I remember right, it's maybe about this big, half the size of this stage, just a little building. And that's where they would carry the wounded. And they set up a table and they had a lot of things still preserved there. And I, I'm guessing they took things from just artifacts. I don't know that everything, of course, was just left on the table after the war and it was all original. But they set it up to be as identical as possible. They showed the table that they would lay the, the soldiers on to treat them. They even had the surgical instruments that they used to treat them there. And so he described the process. And when these guys would get shot, they'd, be, they'd come in here, they'd be laid on the table. And there were so many of them, they had to just go as quickly as possible. So these doctors had to make life or death decisions really quick. What's it going to take? Because they didn't have time for therapy and all that stuff. What's it going to take to keep this guy alive? That's my job. And as a result of that, a lot of times they had to do amputations just to keep people alive. And so they're describing this and I'm picturing this this bloody table and the instruments. And a lot of times it was a saw. Very rudimentary. And then he points to this window in this cabin. He says, you see that window? That's where they they, they discarded the limbs. He's like, wow. He said, and we all like kind of. He really has our attention. We're captivated. We go around to the side of the cabin and there's now we're looking at the window from the outside and he he pushes us back to make like a, a little circle. And he says, this right here was the pile. And this is how high it was and this is how far out it went. It's like, golly, just throwing limbs out the window. They're piling up after this battle. They had to make life or death decisions. And I just pictured, you know, these poor guys, these poor soldiers, you know, limping away with their lives. What was left or or, or coddling or cradling or whatever they did. But that was the process of amputation. And that's what took place in order to enable them to go home to their families. You know, it just reminds us that there are things that uh, really they're not meant to be. I mean, you're not meant to go through life like that. You're not meant to have to lose these things. It's only as a last resort. Should we should we undergo that? And that's the idea of marriage. The two are joined together so intricately, so practically, so importantly. And, and tightly, you can't just pull them apart. It's traumatic. It's not something that we can do lightly. I mean, if you go to the doctor, you got a headache or an earache or a fingerache or whatever, and, and, and he looks at it and he says, yep, got to amputate. I mean, that's the last thing you want to hear, right? The last thing you want to hear is, 
is to not be able to hear. So, you know, if you say, Doc, I can't hear out of this ear. He said, oh, God, amputate. It's, it's just, you know, the feeling, good grief, it would just course through you. Somehow we lost power. Isn't that something? All right. I have, have to use my preach. There it goes. I have to use my preaching voice. So, again, it's, it's a last resort kind of thing. And I know that we live in a society that wants to try to make it as easy and painless as possible. But it really shouldn't even be considered Unless it's dire circumstances. It's not an easy, no matter what pain, no matter what suffering, no matter what trauma we're going through in our relationships. It's not meant to be the thing that's going to fix it. Remember when, <clears throat> way, 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 way back, when Lisa and I were preparing to be married and we're, you know, we're, I was a pretty new Christian. So I'm learning all this, all these new truths that God has to say about the world and life and relationships. And man, I was loving it because like, wow, you know, the world messes you up. The world messed me up. I believed a lot of the lies of the world as a young kid about what brings you pleasure and happiness and what life is all about. And I, I foolishly believed pretty much everything that came by every little fad. So I'm just eating this up. And one of the things so we're learning about marriage and she probably already knew it, but I'm I'm learning how serious it is under God and and how it's supposed to be a, a blessing and how pleasurable it can be. But it's a permanent thing. And so we just kind of made this agreement as we learned about it and, dis, and we're discussing what's our relationship going to look like. We agree. We agreed that we would never threaten to separate or divorce. We just said we're not going to do it. God, if God's this serious about it, then let's not even give ourselves any wiggle room. So we didn't we call it the D word. We didn't even use the D word. So no matter how mad we got at each other, no matter how heated things got. That was not an option. It wasn't there was no playing tricks or or manipulating. Like, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm leaving. Just mm -mm, never happened. Thirty years never happened. Not even once. Matter of fact, we didn't even give ourselves the wiggle room to Say, well, then I'm sleeping on the couch. So, yeah, sometimes there was like friction. There was a lot of silence in the bed at night sometimes. I mean, we were like, don't even move or you might get attacked. <laughs> but you can't leave. But what that does, it, it, it was a, it was a, an agreement we made to each other in wrestling with God's holy word. But what it did is it helped us in our daily, minute-by-minute -minute relationships and decisions. So if you think, man, she just stepped all over my toes. What am I going to do with that? Well, I know what I'm not going to do with it. I'm not threatening to leave. And I'm not hopping out of the bed if that's where the argument took place. You see how it gives, it gives boundaries to us. And it, and it forced us to think about, well, if I'm in it for life... Is it a smart thing to make to keep her mad at me? I mean, how am I going to eat? <laughs> you got to think about some things with the common sense God gives us, right? So it just when you when you look at marriage in that way and you put these kind of boundaries, it's not that you don't have arguments and and, and get furiously mad at one another and say careless things. Oh, that's all there. It doesn't save you from pain and suffering. But it, it, it puts the boundaries on it. It puts regulations on it. And, and I'm grateful.
for those kind of guidelines. Because in the flesh, trust me, I would not have followed that path. I don't I didn't have a good track record of that. So divorce, it's a severing. It's an amputation. And and in essence, and I know it sounds simple, it sounds overly simplistic, but isn't Jesus just kind of saying, don't do it? And they want, well, how, how do you get out of it? Don't. You don't. That's the, that's the main thing. Just don't do it. And they said, but Moses put it in the law. What do you mean don't do it? It's even right in the law from God. Moses gave it to us. And he said, yeah. But it's, you know why? It's because of your heart. The separation, the the amputation that takes place, it's got nothing to do with the perfect institution or design of marriage. No marriage works. It's your heart that doesn't work. Your, Your heart is sick. And so as a grace, as a mercy, it's permitted. It's a it's like the last resort relief valve. To your life. You know, forever doesn't always work. And forever doesn't always work because we are sinful people. And sometimes we just are inconsiderate. And we can cause great pain, especially when you're that close and intertwined. Man, you know what? I guarantee you, if you're married, you know how to push each other's buttons. Probably, you know better than anybody in this room how to push each other's buttons. Because it's. What happens? And that heart condition, sometimes we say, I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it. We do. And then hair flies. Then you got to call the doctor. No. So we're we're selfish. We're inconsiderate. You know, all, all the stuff that we know we are, and you take that into marriage, and we love ourselves too much. Sometimes we, we just... Turn it into something so sinful that now the whole thing has flipped to where divorce is the answer to your survival. Because our hearts have just messed it up so terribly. It's become so painful. It should have never come to this, but this is what we're faced with. So you don't sever a limb that's healthy. But sometimes... Things in our body become so sick, the doctor will say, we're going to have to amputate. And I think that's that's the teaching here that, that Jesus is saying there are exceptions. There are times where you, you really, because of your weakness of heart, you can't go forward. Or you choose not to go forward. So let's look at the health of severing a marriage. And what they want to know is how bad does it have to get before I am... Under God, have permission to end this marital relationship. That's what they want to know. What's the biblical reason for divorce? Verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So there's, they ask a straightforward question. Jesus gives a straightforward answer. There is one exception. It's sexual immorality. The word there is pornean. It means Adultery. In the case of adultery, if you so choose, you are free from that covenant relationship and free to remarry. 
That's the exception there. The only exception that Jesus gives in marriage. We know from historical documents uh, that the Jewish teaching of the day was you could pretty much divorce your wife for any reason. It's about just about anything. I think I heard burnt toast one time, and I don't know if that was actually a quote or a preacher just making something up to give you an idea. But it was it was that mindset. That's one of the reasons the disciples and we'll look at this next week. They're pretty shocked at how strict Jesus is. They're shocked at what he's saying, because that's not what they were raised with or taught. And. um so they would just send their, their spouses off. But Jesus makes this one exception. We'll look at this a little bit more next week as well. But 1 Corinthians 7 is a, just about an entire teaching on uh, marriage. Uh, almost every kind of scenario, a lot of different scenarios. We don't have time to read it now or even next week. But we're just going to dip our toe into it. But Paul gives another ground for divorce. Um, and that is in the case of desertion or abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. You, you don't have to stay. And, and the context behind that is that if you are a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, so you're unequally yoked, however that happened, maybe you were both unbelievers, one became a Christian, whatever. You married an unbeliever, you're a Christian, whatever. You have an unbeliever and they say, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. I don't want any more to do with you. And they desert you. They abandon you. They don't treat you in any way, support you, provide uh, care for you in any way like a spouse. They've moved on with their lives. They got remarried, whatever. Then you that covenant is broken and you are free to remarry. Those are the only two clear exceptions, biblical exceptions for divorce. Now, that is strict. That's very strict. If you think about um, the inspired word of God and all the questions we have about marriage. And those are the two only two explicit uh, exceptions where you can remarry. And something very, very important to keep in mind is that the regulations or or say the permissions um, exceptions to marriage, they are given to protect the innocent. They're not given as ways for evil, wicked people to get out of things that they don't want to be in. And sometimes our hearts are so evil, we'll twist things. But these are exceptions are to to protect the innocent, to keep what's left healthy. It's not so, oh, so I get it. If I go out and commit adultery on my spouse, then I'm free from this covenant to go my own way. I didn't know it was so easy to get out of a marriage. That's not what these are for. It's coming at it from a different angle. Protect the innocent. Another way that you're free, according to 1 Corinthians 7.39, if you've been married, is through death. That covenant has been satisfied. It's been fulfilled through death. And you're out of it. And you are free to remarry. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be remarried to whom she wishes in the Lord. Of course, again, being equally yoked. Scripture doesn't give any other clear exceptions to divorce or remarriage. In fact, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
So if you, you, you divorce on unbiblical grounds, it wasn't right to begin with. And then you remarry, you're really just making things even worse is the idea. And that's the point. It's kind of like cheating on your, your spouse. Which you should have never done it in the first place, but you continue to do that. But I do want to say that if you have divorced even for wrong reasons and you've remarried, that's a valid covenant. You broke the first covenant and you are in another covenant. God, God holds you um, responsible for the first one. He holds you responsible for the second one or the third one or whatever. And I know that there's some teachings. I don't I don't agree with the teaching that um, there are teachings out there that marriage is so important that once you're bound to a person that God brought you together with that original person, that's really your true married partner for the rest of your both of your lives and anybody else. It's adultery. I, I believe the whole point of this passage is that the trauma of divorce and separation is because you broke a vow and it's gone. It's done. As a matter of fact, when we look at first Corinthians seven, there, you know, the Corinthian church man, they everything you could think of to do wrong, they did wrong. So they came into the church with really messed up relationships. And the idea was uh, the bottom line was, look, whatever you're in now, whatever relationship you're in now, that's the one you sanctify. That's the one before God. You move on. The other stuff's in the past. You can't go back and fix everything. But when your covenant ends, it ends. God looks at it as being broken. That's what a divorce is. And if you entered into a new one, he holds us responsible for that. So it's real whether we did it for right reasons or wrong reasons. I've heard teachings where because based on this idea that that marriage is permanent and it's and God doesn't recognize divorce where a husband has gone out, maybe remarried, slept around, comes back five years later, her the wife, former wife is still single and demands his conjugal rights because under God's eyes, we're still married. So it gets pretty messy. God wants to do now if we're in something, we are to do everything possible to keep our marriage holy and honorable before God. First Corinthians seven ten. to the married, I'd give this charge. Not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So Paul even says, look, if, if you if you messed up, things got heated, you divorced and stay unmarried. Now, why would he say that? Because the 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 goal is reconciliation. So he's saying, don't go out and get remarried. And he wants us to stay single with the hopes that we would come to our senses and be able to reconcile relationship through godly biblical choices. Because once we do get remarried, then that covenant is broken. So we do everything possible, Scripture says, to avoid divorce. And then if we've if we've divorced and hadn't remarried to consider reconciliation. And severing is necessary sometimes because of our sinful hearts and that the, the life and the flourishing that marriage is supposed to bring has turned itself upside down and it's just misery and death in that. And God says you have the freedom. In these exceptions, you have the freedom to end it. He does not command us to end it. 
He doesn't say you have to get out of it. You have to end it. But he gives us by his mercy and grace. You have the freedom if you so choose. To divorce. So we want to be careful, even in the church, as as high as God exalts marriage, we have to be careful and humble not to be too judgmental about situations of divorce. God recognizes it. As a matter of fact, God considers himself as having divorced his wife on a spiritual plane at one time. Because you know that he looks upon his people as his beloved. And he has entered into a covenant on a spiritual plane with us. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 3, 8 through 11, he accuses first Israel of spiritual adultery. You chased every God. You, you're sleeping around. And he's warning Judah not to do the same things. And then he says, Judah, you did the same thing. At least Israel repented. You're not even repenting. And he says, I divorced you. Oh, I've got to find... Uh, so she, uh, she saw that for all her adulteries in that faithless one Israel, I'd sent her away with a divorce, a decree of divorce. This is God speaking about Israel. And then Judah didn't get the point and so forth and sin. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. Only acknowledge your guilt that you would that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree. And that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. So they played the harlot. There was an issue, a uh, decree of divorce. But there was God ever waiting faithfully. He didn't do the wrong. He didn't commit adultery. He waited faithfully and reconciliation took place through repentance. Beautiful example of marriage. So we just want to be careful that we're not too harsh with the innocent party. And sometimes things, things happen uh, along these terms. So before, um, I want to I mention one more possible scenario of, uh, of why it may be legitimate to divorce. And it's not explicit in Scripture. So this is kind of a deduction. But um, in the Scripture, the... The apostle allows for divorce if the unbeliever has abandoned the relationship. So it's desertion and abandonment. You think, well, what if that happens between two believers? I mean, what do I do if my spouse just goes on? They've moved with their life. They're in Hawaii now and have their, their own family. I mean, what is God's expectation? I just want to, to present this to you and to uh, pray about it and do what you will with it. But I believe that there may be a little wiggle room in a situation like that. When we think about what Jesus just taught in Matthew 18, and that is the idea of confronting brothers and sisters about their sin. And then if they fail to repent, exercising church discipline, the idea of church discipline is still our, our biggest hope is reconciliation. We're going out of our way for reconciliation. But if that person turns their back on God and says, I'm done with this, I don't want anything and goes away, it's, it's abandonment, it's a desertion. And they are to be treated like an unbeliever. They're no longer welcome to the things uh, that only the family of God is privy to. So there is possible there could be some wiggle room in the fact that if that person is to be treated like an unbeliever, they no longer have anything to do in the church. They're not accountable to any authority or anything. Then it is possible there may be some wiggle room for the believing spouse, the innocent party 
to move on with their lives. So I will let you wrestle with that. But I do want to say that, well, I'm going to look at some scenarios um, very quickly. I'm going to rush through them. But pain and suffering is not a biblical reason to get a divorce. Having a bad day, my spouse said something really harsh, these kind of things, I have eyes for somebody else, those kind of things, they're not valid grounds. Scripture says make every effort, and that may mean staying in something that's not very pleasurable to you. And Christ suffered for the joy. And obeying God is a wonderful thing to do, even if it requires suffering. So I want to very quickly look through some um, possible scenarios. There's, these are invalid grounds for divorce that we often hear today. So what do you do when you say my spouse isn't a Christian? Can I get a divorce? Well, we looked at that in 1 Corinthians 7. If they're an unbeliever and they abandon you after so many time you've, so much time you've done everything to reconcile and they've deserted you, then there is a way out. But... They say, if your spouse is an unbeliever and they don't leave you, the apostle says, stay in there. Keep the marriage going. Stay married to that unbeliever. Somebody else might say, well, but I I wasn't married officially like in a church. We went to the courthouse or we went up on the mountain and my friend uh, said, told us to repeat these vows. God says, keep your promise. A vow is a vow. Matthew 19, 6. If if that was your intention, then you are bound to that, whether it took place in a church building or not. And some might say, well, my unbelieving spouse is a bad influence on my kids. So divorce for the sake of kids. Again, you look at that if they're willing to hang in there. And the Apostle Paul in in chapter 7 says, talks about the believing person sanctifying their unsaved spouse and the children. There's, There's something mysteriously spiritual that happens in these situations. Like you're this ray of hope. You're God's ray of hope in this relationship. There. Uh, My spouse is a huge disappointment. I got to get out of this. Uh, He's a loser. She's a loser. She never gets out of pajamas. Wakes up in him and goes to bed in him. He can't hold a job. You know, is that, can I just get out of this? There's no biblical... There's no biblical grounds. A vow is a vow. Remember, it's that faithfulness to that vow. It's a beautiful thing in God's sight. It's not a business deal. It's not a transaction. As as long as you're meeting my needs, you know, then I'll pay you back. It doesn't work that way. We can trust God. Uh, What if you're no longer in love? Is that a valid reason to end a marriage? Not biblically, no. If you're no longer in love... You know, love is a wonderful thing, but it's not a biblical criteria for remaining in marriage. Um, If there's no feelings left, there's something that is left that's still there. It's the covenant. The covenant stays. The covenant um, remains. God would want us to try to do whatever we can, make the choices, do whatever we can to make it work out. You know, the Lord even tells us to love our enemies. That's not a romantic love. So we can love Without a romantic love. It's a deliberate commitment. How about the one where, you know, I I, I just married the wrong person. We were young. We didn't really know what we were doing. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't 
ready for it. And, and frankly, I've missed out on the one that God had for me because I married the wrong one. And God's got the one out there that I just know is waiting for me. So I, that's not at all biblical thinking. That's not how God looks at marriage. You are married to the one if you made that commitment to that one. That is the one that you're married to. It's not the wrong person. If you made a mistake, confess it before the Lord and now make the best of it. Again, trust God. How about I owe it to myself to be happy. God would not want me to be unhappy. Do you know how many times I hear that? God would not want me to be happy. Why were we created? We were created to be happy, right? So we do everything that makes us happy. We don't even know what makes us happy half the time. We were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. That includes all the aspects of life that we experience. So we don't just get to experience the joy in one relationship. And when they're gone, we move on to another one. That's not what you can't have family like that. Look, if you can't, if we can't achieve a greater happiness by if we if we can achieve a greater happiness by disobeying God. Something's not right. If, if our answer to life's problems is disobeying God, something's not right in our heart. If, if we can think that defying God's commands is the answer, then something isn't right. So, and the last one, God, but God will forgive. I made a mistake. God will forgive. That's a very common temptation. The Apostle Paul addresses it in Romans 6 when he talks about, yeah, salvation is by grace. God does forgive you. And so he says, also, it's okay to sin. And he says, God forbid. That is not the answer. That's not the teaching there. For us to to sin and then to say, well, God's going to forgive me. That's not the idea. Sin always needs to be repented of. And obedience is always the right thing. Remember, obedience rather than sacrifice in Scripture. So we want to honor God in our marriages. Honor God in the marriage that we're in right now. Sanctify it. Go deep with God. Be God's servant in that relationship, no matter what your past is, because your relationship is intended to bless the entire world, not just yourselves. I want to close with a reminder as we think about uh, the, the power of God and how trustworthy he is. You had King David who was a man after God's own heart. But his eyes fell on something and Bathsheba had flung a craven on it. And he's a married man. And this is all wrong. But he had to have her. She's married. So he uses his powers wrongly to bring her to himself and they commit adultery. And as if that wasn't bad enough, then he has the competition taken out by having her husband killed. On the battlefield. So now he's an adulterer and a murderer. The whole relationship. You couldn't be on a worse foundation for a relationship. And what did God do with it? He repents. And through that relationship. Totally unbiblical. You have Solomon born. And through the birth of Solomon. You have the promise of the Messiah. That will come and save the whole world. So through the, the, the messiest circumstances, as unbiblical as you can get, God brings something beautiful out of it.
Praise be to God. May he bless the preaching of his word.